Music to Code By is taking the developer world by storm. Now there are six extra tracks available online in addition to the original three. That's nine Pomodoros of pure productivity just waiting for you. Check them out at mtcb.pwop.com. Net Rocks, episode 1222, with guest Benjamin Howarth. Recorded Saturday, November 21st, 2015. Oh no, it's .NET Rocks. <laughs> <laughs> that seems familiar, a different opening for somewhere else. Hey, this is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. And we're here for another hour. Benjamin Haworth is here. We're going to be talking to him in just a bit about spa testing. And uh, how, how are you, what, what's happening over there in Coquitlam, <laughs> Vancouver? Well, uh, we, we postponed the recording of this show from last Friday. Because I was uh, dealing with uh, an inch of water in my basement. Oh! Yeah. Is everything okay? Yeah. You know, long-term listeners may be aware this is not the first time. That's right. Uh, this was not a burst fish tank this time. This was an extraordinarily heavy rainfall. Uh, you know, I, I don't sleep a whole bunch. I literally walked out of my basement around midnight, went upstairs to go to bed, went back down at 630 so, you know, I, I get up in the morning pretty much, I should go check the email before I take a shower. And that was a day we were doing three shows, as I recall. Right. So, you know, it's good to check just in case people have had to cancel, reschedule, so you just get on top of things early. I go back downstairs. When I hit the bottom stair, squish, squish. Yuck. You're like, uh-oh. And the, I hadn't even turned the lights on. That's how I was oh. just walking, right? Oh, so no. Lovely. I turned the lights on. You're like, where water. is that cat? Yeah. <laughs> That, you're, you're not that's wrong, gonna be, man. That's got to be a damn big cat. <laughs> that's a big cat. So, I mean, is you know, what do you do next? What's your next move yeah. at, at that moment? Well, real number one is, is the water still coming in? Yeah. Right? That's the first thing. So, light up the room, start figuring out where the water's coming from. And 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 with a flashlight, I checked my drains because I, I do know my space well. I helped build it, so I know where everything is. So. Right. I saw that my drains were not full of water, just the floor was. So clearly this had been an event. In that little six-hour window, the water had come up through the floor and come back down again. Oh. And, and, what, and there's just water left behind. Right. So uh, wake up the family, get the girls moving, pull the cars out of the garage, get boxes moving into the garage, ping the neighbors, borrow some wet dry vacs. They all dive in because that's the kind of neighbors I have. Mm. And we start vacuuming up as much water as we can, as quickly as we can. The long story short is that you need to completely gut your basement now. Yep. All flooring out, walls cut three foot all the way around. Uh, it's a lot of built-in cabinetry, the custom-built office. So, And that's where you usually do your show from. So where are you now? I am on the landing on the up. So we've rebuilt the office because the whole house is homewired, right? So I was able to just redirect all the lines and so forth. And there's lots of Ethernet jacks. So I pulled the important computer equipment out and we set up a little office on the landing on the upper floor. Okay. So uh, I might be a little boomy 
although I am I am tucked in behind an audio baffle to try and get decent sound. Okay. Uh, there's every risk we'll hear the dog because <laughs> there's not much we can do about that. Yeah. And uh, and I'm renovating my whole basement. Ta-da! Ta-da! Well, <laughs> congratulations. And you know, it, you said it was mostly paid for by insurance, so that's good. well, we'll see. You know, yeah. yeah obviously, there we, in the spring we were talking about making some changes anyway. So now it's sort of like let's we put them aside because we were too busy, and now we kind of don't have an option. Well, I have something really interesting and potentially life-changing for our listeners for Better Know Framework. So roll that crazy music. Awesome. All right, buddy, what do you got? Tinyurl.com slash Musk job. Musk as in Elon Musk and job as in I want to go work for Elon Musk. Musk job. Elon Musk wants you. you. Would you like to work at Tesla? He's about to start personally interviewing some job applicants. Apparently, Elon's extremely eager to hire software engineers to help soup up Tesla's self-driving car features, right? So he tweeted recently, ramping up the autopilot software team at Tesla to achieve generalized full autonomy. We're looking for hardcore software engineers. No prior experience with cars required. This is a super high priority. And right now, I'd like to apologize for, to Microsoft for anybody like Scott Guthrie who leaves the Azure team and goes to work for Elon Musk. I'm sorry. <laughs> I just report the news. I don't make it. Don't shoot me. <laughs> I think I think you might be about to make it, given um, I, I, I somehow get the feeling that that email inbox is about to get completely slammed. Maybe. <laughs> Yeah, maybe. And hopefully, uh, if any of you do go to work for Elon Musk, please tell us about it. That would be fun. Well, anyway, that's what I got. Musk job. So, Richard, who's talking to us? Grabbed a comment off of show 952, the one we did with one Benjamin Howarth. Never heard of him. When we were talking about um, um, Braco. That's fine. I'm n- I've never heard of him either. <laughs> <laughs> never heard of it. Well, and I had this this one comment from Eric Weiss, which I really appreciated, actually. I thought you would like to hear it, too, Ben. Uh, more yeah. and more, my customers want to have social media presence and even some have adopted a social media presence as their main and only web presence. From a non-technical right. point of view, this works really well for them because they're already familiar with the CMS that is the social media site, Facebook, Google+, and so on, because sure. they use it in their personal lives. And now with Google changing their search rankings to give more precedence to Google+, Plus pages, I don't know if they're still doing that, it is becoming another SEO requirement. Therefore, what I would have liked to have had some feedback on was what were the best open source and license-free CMS systems out there that provide an API hook into these social media infrastructures. Mm. Or maybe one that has some plugins and extensions that help with this. The main use Mm. case would be my company has some content that is relative to multiple customers and I would like to publish immediately or on a schedule my articles to different social media presences that have granted me access through APIs. Mm -hmm. This way I can reuse my content easily and my customers can still administer their own content using their social media CMS that they are familiar with. The ability to import posts created from social media CMSs into my central CMS would also be an awesome feature. Thanks and keep up the good work for the most professional podcast I've ever listened to. Hey, we're professionals. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Re- really? Wait, wait, when did that happen? <laughs> <laughs> Well, we'll give Benjamin an opportunity to respond to that after I formally introduce him to you. Absolutely. So, Eric, uh, I will get an answer to your questions. Thank you so much for your comment. A .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at .NET Rocks.com or via any of our social media CMSs. 
because we post every show to Google Plus and Facebook. And if you comment there and we read it on the show, we'll send you a mug. And that third voice you heard was that of Benjamin Howarth. He is a freelance consultant and web developer specializing in the .NET open source arena under his personal brand, Code Gecko, building awesome projects and websites and hopefully making other developers' lives easier along the way. As well as blogging about all things .NET and open source, he loves traveling, running, politics, and promoting mental health and related charitable causes. Welcome, Benjamin. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be back, guys. Comments on that comment. So, uh, so what's the best CMS to post basically to social media? So things, I, I take it we're kind of talking the uh, auto tweet stuff. So firstly, thank you. It was Eric, wasn't it, who asked the yeah. question? Thank you to Eric for asking it. Um, now, I, I have a bit of a bias. Uh, my main specialism is in Umbraco, uh, as I did on the previous uh, show with you guys. Um, and so uh, I... Fine. I, I don't think there's a CMS out of the box that has these kind of auto sharing capabilities, but there are ton, you know, with every CMS that you pick, there are going to be plugins that will do auto post to Facebook, auto tweet, uh, auto post to Google plus. Um, there's a package, uh, called skybird.social, uh, mm. which is a new get package for Umbraco, which allows you to, uh, set up, uh, Facebook and Twitter authentication tokens, uh, in your content. So then you can say, you can hook into a publish event for your content and you can say, right, when I publish a piece of content, such as a blog post or an article, then I want to use the OAuth tokens that I've stored to then go and post that off to whichever social net, you know, whichever social media network you've connected with. So yeah, so my bias, Umbraco, that's the one I'm familiar with. That's the one I know the packages for, but I'm sure there's stuff for Drupal um, and WordPress that WordPress is particularly known for having plugins that do this. Mm. Um, yeah, I'm looking at Skybread and it's actually Facebook, Twitter, Google, Instagram. Yep, exactly. So, and that's mostly for, uh, I mean, certainly the way I use uh, the Skybird uh, tool is to uh, pull in tweets just to show them on my website or, you know, number of Twitter followers, stuff like that. Um, you know, simple kind of read operations, but it does also support write operations as well. There's a client in there where you can actually post off uh, stuff using authenticated calls and say, right, I want to send out a social media post. Hey, presto, off it goes. So, um, so yeah, you have to write some custom code to use the Skybird tool, but uh, that's the one I know and use. Um, if you're using something simple like WordPress, if you're using something that's self-hosted on WordPress.com, then you can just install a plugin that will already do it for you. And it's fully configurable, I think. Uh, that will do uh, certainly posting to Twitter and Facebook, I think. Um, but I don't know the precise details of that because I don't really look at WordPress much. Mm -hmm. um, you know, not that it's a bad tool. It's a great tool for what it does. But, you know, it's also fairly simplistic in what it does. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, it, it, uh, it, you know, partly depends on what do you, you know, uh, what code uh, do you have developers that are familiar with? Um, and what kind of hosting environment are you running on? Uh, although having said that, now that .NET's open source and runs great on Linux, you can take a .NET CMS and run it on Linux. So, mm -hmm. um, so, so yeah, the the it, it's it's uh, how long is a piece of string kind of question, really? Right. Well, I think that's quite a thorough answer, actually. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And the, there is another side of this I find that uh, certainly I use Hootsuite to do our postings across the different social media and so forth. But you have to monitor those social media sites too. Like if you're not there, there's no point in posting there. 
Because it's the it's the feedback, it's the interaction that matters anyway. Yeah, just shouting out in the ether doesn't help anybody. Yep, and that's no no. People think that's an alternative to marketing. You know, just every once in a while, I'll send a tweet. But it's re- you're right, Richard. It's really being engaged with your customer base. That's what it's all about. Hey, so let's talk about spa testing. So, single page applications have this particular state issue that you know, traditional share, dare I say, traditional websites don't where, you know, a new page comes in every time you click a link or parts of a new page anyway. What, yes. uh, how, I guess, uh, is state the big issue? Is that where we start here? Uh, yeah, I think state is certainly the, I, I think state is the issue and also the purpose of SPAs, it, it, you know, on the web is, is certainly an issue. So, um, so yeah, I mean, Google started indexing stuff that's loaded via JavaScript, but again, it's, a, I don't believe it to be perfect. It doesn't, it can't fully replicate what a user's interactions with the site. Mm. So the, so yeah, so the main issue is state and content, particularly, uh, getting that content indexed. Uh, you know, as you were saying, some people think that marketing is just, you know, sending out a tweet every so often. Right. Uh, some people think that, oh, you build a website and hey, presto SEO is taken care of. Not necessarily so. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I had a, a great chat with, um, Sebastian Lamler, who is serial Seb on Twitter yeah. about the pos, about, um, the possibility of, um, what I have dubbed kind of progressive SPAs. Uh, and his, uh, his main gripe with them was that very simply they're not, they don't necessarily meet the kind of accessibility requirements in terms of delivering content on the first go, basically on the first request. What you have is you have a shell that loads up maybe 20 meg of JavaScript library, and then you've got a ton of Ajax. <laughs> and then you've, exactly. Yeah. And then you've got a ton of only, uh, only 20 see, meg. Yeah. Only 20 meg, you know. Okay. Or maybe five meg if you GZ it. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, I was thinking 20 meg. Uh, so you mean half of jQuery. Okay. <laughs> basically. Um, and then, you know, maybe throw in Angular plus some dependencies on top yes. uh, and, and a few other bits and pieces. So yeah, what you're basically loading up is the shell of this application. And then you've got another bunch of round trip requests to actually go and get the content and present it to the user. And actually our job as web developers should be to deliver content first. That's the whole purpose of the web. That was the, that was what it was invented for was to share content. And so we should be making it, uh, as easy as possible and as quick as possible to deliver that content, uh, to the user, regardless of what platform they're using. And granted, yes, JavaScript is prevalent everywhere, but there are still instances where you need to actually switch the JavaScript off. If you try going to Instagram, all right, try switch the JavaScript off on there. The page doesn't even load. You literally, you get a white screen. It's simply That's broken. It. Yeah. It is. It's completely broken. You can't view any content without JavaScript. They're saying they don't support Mosaic anymore. Oh, there you go. Right. Well, I mean, true. I mean, Mosaic is probably one of the few examples. But then you also have other examples like um, uh, NVDA, which is a screen reader um, that doesn't necessarily fully update with the DOM being re-rendered in the browser. Mm-hmm. So um, you have an issue whereby what's actually displayed on screen isn't actually what's necessarily present and what NVIDIA is reading. You've got to you've got a disconnect between what's visible and what's effectively only visible in terms of HTML render. So, yeah, so it's a question of it's a state issue, but I'd argue it's more a content issue. Mm-hmm. Um, and in terms of delivering that content uh, in the lowest possible uh, amount of bandwidth required. You know, we live in an age where we've got bars and tablets. And I don't know what your uh, prepaid plans are like in the States, but over here we get some cell phone companies cap 
your uh, cell phone data usage. Uh, so they'll give you like a gig of internet and then suddenly it costs, uh, you know, a couple of bucks more per megabyte. Right. And it starts to get, and it starts to get expensive beyond that. So, you know, if it's occasional browsing, fine. But then, like I say, if you're loading several, let's say several hundred K of JavaScript library, right. plus then all the round trips to get that content, you're basically hammering someone's broadband experience just to deliver what you consider to be the optimal experience. And it's not. And when you're testing that, you're testing for more than just the typical things software unit testing covers. You also have to test for memory leaks and things like that, that sort of Indeed. creep into the spa environment. And of course, JavaScript, you've got your all, you've got your double equals versus your triple equals. Oh, don't get me started on that crap. <laughs> oh, oh, trust me. I know the world of pain. There is oh. a, a, I remember there's a cheat sheet somewhere, which is the one I use, which is kind of, um, uh, truthy, falsy, uh, <laughs> inferred, inferred type conversion. So I'm going to try and see if I can find it. I, I uh, think we may have actually shown that on, uh, better know framework. Yeah. It's a grid, right? Yeah, it's, it's great, like and it shows you all the different... 20 by 20, you, yeah. Yeah, and it shows you all the different, like, what truthy values will... If you do a double equals right. or a not equals, which ones map to which what yep. the inferred types will be. Yep. So, um, so yeah, uh, and the it's so convoluted. Whereas if you look at the triple equals, it's just a simple diagonal line. If it's triple equals, it's truth. If it's... if it And it's simple... Uh, it, you get no type conversion if you use a triple equals. Triple equals. That's what we've come down to now. We need three yes. equal signs. Yes. Oh my. Yes. I mean, it's almost it's it's almost like um, you know how the screens keep getting bigger yeah. on Samsungs and iPhones, right? It'll go triple equals, then it'll be four, then five, then yeah. six. Your equations you know? will be you know off the screen by a number of mag uh, order of magnitude. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, no. Pretty soon we'll have we'll have a shorthand. It'll be equals carrot seven <laughs> <laughs> equals to the power i like that <laughs> the power of equal <laughs> oh it's crazy when you want it really yes. really equal yeah yeah when you really 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 <laughs> want to be sure <laughs> seven really hang on i i i no, see, no, really. I, I, feel, I, feel, I feel i feel a pop song coming on there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah oh yeah really really this portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by Stackify. Our dev-centric friends at Stackify have been awarded PC Magazine's Editor's Choice for Application Performance Management, stating the depth of application information provided by Stackify totally outshined the other products in this category. Because Stackify so successfully integrates errors, logs, and metrics into a core APM Plus tool, it's a must-have for .NET developers which is why PC Magazine's Paul Farrell calls it one of the best infrastructure management services of 2015. Try Stackify now for free, and they'll ship you their coveted Developers Against Humanity card game. Just activate your account. Use the link bit.ly slash netrocks to build better apps faster and get your free game. But, you know, the argument in favor of SPA, just taking the other side here, too, is mm. this, yeah, you're going to load that once. If you're hanging out on the site for a while, you know, I'm presuming you're going to hit a whole bunch of my pages and this is going to be worth it. Yes, true. And there is that argument that it does reduce round trips. Um, that, and that is a good argument. The other argument as well is that spas tend to be responsive in nature by default. So what right. you're looking at, at is... After the long wait, they're responsive. 
Yeah. Um, I'll pull up. And so where this was going was John Papa, who's a Microsoft MVP, a uh, uh, former Microsoft guy himself, uh, came out in 2013 with a couple of packages uh, called the Hot Towel Spa packages. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> yeah. And he then did a Q&A on the ASP.NET forums. And someone asked him, when would you not use this design pattern? And I'll quote him here. He said, one example would be a website. Lots of static data for presentation in regions or areas. This could be done with client-side templating, but then you lose a lot of SEO too. And websites are often where SEO is important. In brackets, in contrast, a spa for a banking app is not a place you'd want SEO. So there are two examples of where you wouldn't use an SPA, which is websites and any place you need SEO badly. There are ways to do SEO in spa, but it's not a natural fit. Right. So, and that that was kind of his arg. That was his argument. He said there are three main reasons to do spas. Are the three R's: reach, responsive UX, and reducing round trip postbacks. So, reach being getting it working cross platform because uh, HTML5 is supported on most modern mobile and tablet platforms. Uh, the responsive UX, you only have to write the UI once. Uh, and it automatically is written for all the platform. I mean, of course, you have to do adjustments for each screen, but the fundamentals are certainly there. And reducing the round trip postbacks, as you mentioned. So I came into this conversation and went, well, that's real interesting. Um, so how would you go about building a website like Twitter? Because if you look at Twitter, Twitter is an SPA. Once you've loaded up the shell, uh, you click around and you navigate, and it's all partial postbacks. It's all yeah, you're living sending- in the page. You are, exactly. You're living in the UI and everything that's being sent and requested is simply uh, view partial views and the data that it's getting from the Twitter API. Twitter, right. the, the Twitter website, uh, admitted by the Twitter dev team, the Twitter website is actually the biggest Twitter API user, uh, basically. It's just not rate limited like the rest of us have to put up with. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, uh, I argued, so how do they do it? Because obviously there's got to be a way to be able to deliver up this content in a way that Google can see it, because at the time, in 2013, Google wasn't indexing stuff in JavaScript. So I said, there's got to be a way that Twitter are delivering up tweets and profiles and data so that Google can read it and index it. But at the same time, they're effectively upgrading from a basic web page experience into an SPA once you enter the experience. How are they doing that? And I said, how, how would you begin to approach it using... Uh, your frameworks and he went i don't have a good answer for you there is uh there is you know an opportunity there and i went great that's where i come in so um so yeah so i started kind of investigating that and i started from the premise that uh most spas follow an mvx pattern where you know model view whatever you want right okay whether that's model view view model with knockout or what you might want to call model view controller. It's not model view controller, but whatever, with Angular. Um, And I will happily have a debate with anybody who says that Angular is MVC. It's not. (laughs) But we won't argue with you. Yeah, I don't think I'd argue with you either, buddy, honestly. Fair enough. Excellent. Excellent. No, it's, um, it's kind of a point of contention. It's my understanding of a controller is a controller has actions on it and you invoke the actions to subsequently return the view you want. Angular controllers don't have actions. They have events that you bind to and they you populate a model, a view model effectively. So they right. are, controllers are view models. It's just that Angular's decided to call them controllers to confuse you. So <laughs> yeah, like we need one more thing to learn to confuse us. So, mm. um, so anyway, so I took the idea that you have this MV 
W on the client and you have probably backing it underneath, you have an MVC uh, website on the server. Why not share the model and the view between the two? Uh, because ultimately they're going to be the same model. And chances are they're also going to be the same view. If you're trying to render out data so that it's read, you know, on a server render, mm -hmm. then chances are your client side templates going to be identical. It may have some tweaks. You may want to do things like a progressive upgrade sure. to do things like fancy angular effects and so on and so forth. Yeah, there may be um, things at the client that are not on the server, vice versa, because they're appropriate. Precisely. Better. But the precisely, models should be the models, though. Right? The models should be the models certainly should be the same. And the views, in theory, I'm, I might want to reuse the views. Potentially, uh, I know there are toolkits out there where I'd love to be able to use. Um, and I mean, these toolkits have progressed a lot. I used to be a Dev Express user quite avidly, and sure. I I certainly remember just the idea of saying, right, okay, what happens if I want to render a server view that's got a Dev Express component in it? Um, you know, what if I what if I don't have an HTML five tool like a graphing tool or a data grid or you know something extensive? What if I don't have that available to me on the client, but I do have it available to me on the server? Mm -hmm. I should be able to render out a server view as a partial to my MVW client side. So um, so I started taking these ideas and kind of throwing them around and worked out how to export the routes from the server side to the client side and then hijack the requests on the client side to add an extra HTTP header in them. So then you've got one URL that basically does three things. Uh, you've got the cold URL, as I would call it. So let's say you've got a home controller and an index action on the client. And you would go to slash home slash index. And you do that, and it would load up your whole page with layout, with style sheets, meta tags, all of that stuff. It would also then load your JavaScript, at which point your JS kicks in. Mm -hmm. Your app boots up, configures itself, and goes, right, I need to get the roots. So it then goes and does a web API call to the server, gets the routes that have already been configured in web API, again, which you can customize uh, in case you want some specific client-side routing capability. Then uh, on top of that, uh, once it's picked that up, it then goes, oh, I actually identify this route I'm currently on. Great. Now I can load up the uh, request the same URL with a header on it to go and get the JSON model uh, using an attribute, an action filter, an MVC. And then with a different header, make the same request again to slash home slash index and just return the partial view. So with no layout, just the kind of raw MVC partial view, no layout, no uh, ancillary infrastructure. So you've got th one URL that basically does three different things, depending on what header is present on the request. So, but once you're in the app, after that, all your requests have got that little header on it. So it adds a little bit to your overhead payload, but then all your round tripping is all partials. So, and yeah, so I kind of nailed this all together and turned it into something called, which I then called Roman Spa. And yes, you can see what I did there as well. Um, <laughs> so does, how does this help for testing? So from a testing perspective, so from a testing perspective, firstly, it allows you to create basically a regular MVC site which you can unit test, okay? So you've got server-side controllers, server-side actions, server-side views, which mm. means you can unit test those in the traditional sense. Secondly, there's a tool that I'm using a lot quite extensively at the moment, which is a tool called Hutzpah, uh, which is a Yiddish word for stuff, yeah. literally. Like the right stuff. Yes, exactly. And Hutzpah is an amazing tool. Uh, it's open source, it's on GitHub, it's got Visual Studio integrations. Uh, and basically, it's a JavaScript unit test runner for uh, QUnit, 
which is the JavaScript version of NUnit. And so you can uh, install Hutzpah as a NuGet package, and then you can write JavaScript unit tests to uh, to unit test your view models or your controllers, if you want to call them that, on the client side. So you can then extend and expand upon the base uh, controllers that you've used to load up all your different partials once you're in the SPA experience. And yeah, you can uh, fully JavaScript integrate that. And what's great about Hutzpah is that when it runs QUnit, it will output the result in an XML format that's identical to NUnit. Mm. So you can run both server and client side unit tests for mm. your C Sharp and your JS code side by side in a continuous integration wow. environment. Wow, that is very cool. It uh, is insanely cool. It works and it works great. Um, yeah, I've used it extensively. One of uh, I was asked last year to work on a project for um, one of the big retailers here called Tesco. And they've got uh, they've got their own tablet called the Huddle, and I was asked to supply a bespoke uh, Angular JS uh, back office, uh, which bolted over the top of Umbraco. And so the first thing I did is uh, pull down Hotspur and started writing JS tests to uh, test the different view models and controllers I was using for this app, uh, including the various different services and dependency injection. And it is, it's fantastic. It gives you proper separate, it gives you, if you use Angular in the correct way with proper separation of concerns in terms of factories and services and stuff, it gives you all that gorgeous, you know, separation of concern, dependency injection uh, stuff that you're normally used to having in, you know, MVC and C Sharp. Uh, and yeah, it gives you a, an experience, a developer experience that we've already become completely accustomed to since about 2009, I'd say 2008, yeah. nine. Yeah. Um, but yeah, now it's all available within the tooling that we've already had, but just for a completely different language and a completely different stack. And it's, it's great. I highly recommend people check it out. This does feel like a, a test driven development approach to JavaScript then. It is. Absolutely. It is. And, uh, it's a TDD approach to, uh, JavaScript. Certainly, the approach with uh, Roman Spa is also to be able to build a progressive SPA. Um, sure. To be able to, to be able to say, right, I'm not just building a pub. And you know where you'd want to use this is somewhere like there's um, there's an app. I don't know if you ha- know of an app over in the states called Just Eat. Yeah, um, I heard about it. Yeah, so uh, they're huge over here. They're basically it's takeaway delivery right. uh, company. Restaurants sign up, and their whole uh, website is an SPA. Uh, but again, it, it can also be indexed. So if you're building something like that, which is a public facing, but data heavy website, Roman Spar is a really interesting way of being able to say, right, I can actually build, you know, build a website first and then upgrade the experience to an SPA second. Hmm. So, which then focuses on the important thing of actually delivering content to your users first, because that's what, you know, websites are for. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, Richard. Yeah, buddy. Guess what time it is. Ah, it must be that happy time again. You know it. It's time to figure out why Skype keeps showing me ads for home renovation stuff like Kills and Spackle and Home Depot. Wait a minute. Oh, I know. I was chatting with you. (laughs) (laughs) Wet dry vax. Yeah. Sump pumps. What do I need a sump pump for? (laughs) Oh, Richard. Okay. They should be showing these ads to you. I should be seeing those ads. I'm in need of a new front door. (laughs) Oh, I guess you now know my ad blocker is set up to deflect to you. Yeah. It's, you know, I feel a little violated that uh, Skype is parsing my conversations and showing me ads based on what I'm talking about. What if I was talking about something horrible? (laughs) 
<laughs> so you want to build a car bomb. Yeah. Right. Oh, oh. Yeah. Little soon. Little too soon. Yeah. Okay. Little. Anyway, okay, it's little time to give away that. a Telerik DevCraft collection to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But first, do you know Swift, Objective-C, and Java? Can you use them in tools like Xcode and Android Studio? If so, awesome. For everyone else, there's NativeScript, a cross-platform framework for building native iOS and Android apps using skills you already have, JavaScript or TypeScript, CSS, and XAML-like XML markup. Start building your dream native mobile apps today. Use the NativeScript CLI for free, or use NativeScript in Visual Studio with a Telerik platform subscription, which enables you to build iOS apps without the glowing Apple. Get started for free at Telerik.com slash NativeScript. Awesome, dude. Who's our winner? Today's winner is Ivan Mussolini from Italy. Ah, congratulations, Ivan. Yeah. Golf clap for you, Golf sir. Golf clap for you. He just won the Telerik DevCraft collection. That's a big pile of awesome from Telerik. And if you don't know what we just did here, go to .netrocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the .NET Rocks fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world, and every show we like to give away stuff from our sponsors, and every December, hmm, it's December, it's very kind December. of almost December, almost isn't it? December, yeah. <laughs> not yet, we not give away yet. five thousand dollars worth of technology, a shopping spree, to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But you got to sign up to win, and uh, we also ask our guest Benjamin if you had five thousand dollars to spend on technology. Today, what would you buy? I think the first thing I'd be buying would be a nice new Microsoft Surface Book. Yeah. Uh, those things. Yes. My those favorite things. new toy. Yeah, Richard has. I them. was going to say, I was going to say, I'm waiting for those to come out in Britain. And the moment one does, I am getting my grubby little paws all over one. Yep. So yep. Um, no, I, I brought it to Sweden and people were very interested. You brought it to Microsoft at the MVP summit and all the Microsoft, he's like, ooh, can I see that? <laughs> they don't even have them. Nope. Wow. Yeah. The only reason I got one is that I was literally ordering it while the keynote was still going on. In fact, I finished my order before I found out I could take the screen off. <laughs> yep. Nice. But that's why I've got it. I would get my hands on one of those and... uh I now have some more desk space in my study, so I'm going to be investing in a new, uh, I think, either trip or quad monitor setup. More screens, so, good. Yeah, good. Yeah, I think I'm going to go with, you know, nice big, nice big bad boy setup like that at home. So when I, I had to move my office space, I couldn't keep all my monitors, right? I don't have room for them all. Some stuff needed to be packed up. What monitor do you think I kept? I do not know. Carl? Uh, you kept the side monitors. I did not keep the triple rig. No? Nope. I kept the, oh, the curved 34 one. inch curved 3440 by 1440 display. Yeah. yeah uh, that's the one. Now that sounds lovely. That cinema display, you know, I'll have to think about getting another one and stacking one above the other. That's how much I'm in love with this screen. Nice. Very nice. So, Richard. Show 1082, January 1st is when it came out this year. We were in London, and we were talking to a panel of people, and one of them was talking about Just Eat. And that's, uh, I think it was Peter Mounts. 
He had played a pivotal role in migrating the Just Eat platform from a data center to the cloud. And uh, I I bring that up because uh, you were, Benjamin, you were talking about Just Eat as being a a spa, uh, probably one of the most popular ones. Uh, Yes. No, it is. um, I've actually uh, had the privilege of speaking at the Just Eat offices because they host the mobile uh the uh the london mobile developers user group mm-hmm. so on a regular basis and of course they order in the pizza because they're a takeaway company yes. <laughs> <laughs> you know um so no i uh, i i was there with uh chatting with martin Beebe, who's the uh developer evangelist for microsoft here in here in britain mm. and uh and yeah i bumped into him it'd been a very long time since i'd seen him so uh so yeah i was doing my talk again talking about roman spa demonstrating how you could do you know, progressive SPA mm-hmm. uh, technology. You know, from just a from just a plain old MVC website, basically. So, uh, yeah. so yeah, no, they're re- really nice guys, and they're doing they are doing some amazing stuff because uh, I think their platform runs uh, predominantly .NET based. All right, so let's talk a little bit about this progressive part. I love this idea you've built MVC essentially in the background, which basically gives me this option of not rendering as a spa. So yep. now my SEO works. Like all these things are fine. Am I right? Yeah, that's correct. So what's the point at which it suddenly becomes a spa? Like, how do you decide that in the page? So the point at which it becomes an SPA in the page, there's, uh, I've added a couple of extension methods that simply detect in the view whether the header is present or not. So as I mentioned, when uh, the, what happens is your page, when you hit your URL slash home slash index, right. MVC, MVC pipeline picks it up, goes, hey, here's a view, here's layout, here's, title, meta, you know, style sheets, JavaScript, so on. At which point you load that up. Now, obviously your JavaScript gets loaded uh, and your main app JS kicks in, at which point it goes to configure. So that's where it goes off to the server, gets the roots from the server, turns those into JavaScript friendly roots mm-hmm. for your SPA, mm-hmm. and then starts sending off requests as an SPA. So, um, then what it then what it does is it requests the same URL twice, one for the model and one for the view. Now, when requesting the view, what it does is there's an extension method that I've added, which simply says is which is you know context dot is Roman view request, and all it does is it checks if the header is present in the hijack process that says I'm requesting a view from hmm. the spa side. Hmm. If that head is if that head is present, then you can render out spa specific code spa specific templating as a partial from the server side pipeline right so mm-hmm. if it's being fetched from angular js it's just going to yep. re- fetch this partial and you and now you're responsible for rendering on the browser correct so it will just go you know i'm pulling in the index view but i'm basically switching layout off which means right. i've got i'm not loading any javascript or, or style sheets or any of the ancillary stuff that mm-hmm. i've already loaded mm-hmm. So thinking from this from an SEO perspective, are you just detecting the fact that this is this is a uh, a spider and go okay, well don't you know there is no Angular, so just send them down the normal view. Yeah, precisely. So when when there's no HTTP when there's no HTTP header present in the request, it just rolls out the cold view. The right. hijacks are done simply by adding an extra header in the JavaScript request from the from the Angular side. So. Um, so yeah, so you add the header depending on whether you're requesting the model or you're requesting the view. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, and it will return you either a JSON object or it will return you a partial subsequently. 
Nice. Now, yeah. if I'm now let's think NV access, right? The non-visual access approach. Yes. How is this person able to indicate? Hey, I want you to send me the form where I'm able to my uh, verbal processor will be able to handle it. Um, so that would have to be handled by um, a switch that you'd basically put in a you put in a query string that would effectively force it to right. switch off all the SPA options. So, and you could do the same thing for a mobile as well. I want the lightweight mobile version, not the spa mobile version. So, yes. you know, force uh, force that st- spa off, get the lightweight yes. rendering. And that could be done exactly. automatically too, couldn't it? If you detect a mobile device, yes, yeah. yes, you could because the because um, the app because the app JS could subsequently pick up the uh, browser width and just go, yeah, I'm just not going to run as an app. I'm I'm going to you know I'm going to basically stop executing. Yeah, the so, browser agent, right? Yeah, it could do this from browser agent. Yeah, you if could, you yeah, see browser- a mosaic browser agent, a call the news <laughs> and b send them the simple page. Yeah, I think uh, I think I think is it only CERN that uses mosaic these days? <laughs> I don't think anybody. Yeah, who knows? Somebody Fair still's enough. got links out there somewhere. Probably. Well, just look at the Large Hedron Collider page and see how that's pulled together. And you'll, you'll, <laughs> I, tell I think you. they're still using the marquee tag. Yeah. Uh, or, or blink tags. All right, but but I think this is wildly important. Actually, I mean, you've addressed a lot of stuff here. It's just a really interesting yeah. way to think that you can have a choice of renderings based on capability, you know, bandwidth availability or indexability for SEO. Yeah, it's uh, I mean, as I say, the main argument was simply just to be able to share the M and the V between the two. But being yeah. able to build, as I said, you know, a progressive SBA is uh, is kind of the, art, the, the kind of the end result, if you will, that makes it a partic- particularly compelling argument as to why you want to use, you know, this design pattern to go off and start building your sites like this, because then, yeah, you get full control over how it gets rendered, what gets rendered, where where it gets rendered, whether you render it on the server or on the client, um, and, you know, when it gets rendered. So uh, I, I even built in as a lightweight example in the demo. So the solution I've got on GitHub has got a demo in there, uh, which you can just F5 run from Visual Studio. Uh, and the example I used in there, was um, I've got a blog page and a lightweight little uh, SQL server embedded database with a blog post in it. And uh, the uh, the upshot of being able to do it to showing off some data scaffolding. And I was using Breeze.js for this. And in case anybody hasn't checked it out, Breeze and Breeze.js are absolutely amazing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Word Bell is a genius. We've talked about them many times here. Yeah. 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 Don't focus on the outfits. The man's software is unbelievable. Yeah, it is. It's great. <laughs> That's why Ward and John Popper are always doing stuff together because their their stuff complements each other. Fair enough. Um, what about TypeScript? Does that help you? I mean, we were talking about all the weirdness of JavaScript earlier in the show. Do, does yes. that, Does it help with uh, with truthiness? I mean, is it the uh, when it comes down to it, isn't an object an object and a a string a string or Oh, in JavaScript world. Oh, I wish it was in that TypeScript, simple. In TypeScript. <laughs> I wish it was that simple. In TypeScript, yes, it is. Um, I, I think TypeScript's strength, uh, I, I haven't really played much with TypeScript, but from what I have seen and from the fact that the AngularJS team think that TypeScript is so good, they've ported all of their source code to TypeScript. I think mm. that says a lot about the strength of the platform and how, because ultimately TypeScript is just a cross compiler into JavaScript, but the fact it's done so well, um, is, uh, and the fact that, you know, major JavaScript libraries are actually getting on board and saying, Hey, actually, you know what? This thing's so damn good. We'll use it. Um, 
I really think that's testament to to what the TypeScript team have done, and I think that's brilliant. So, um, so yeah, if you want to do JavaScript properly and avoid a lot of the headaches, then yeah, use TypeScript. Yeah, definitely. yeah it's funny that Doug Crockford's not a fan. He says, really? I think that JavaScript, this is a quote, I think that JavaScript's loose typing is one of its best features and that type checking is way overrated. TypeScript adds sweetness, but at a price. It's not a price I'm willing to pay. Mm. Interesting. interesting. Not everybody's going to agree on this. No, I think, uh, I think from my, I, I can understand. I remember having an argument with um, uh, an ASP.NET MVP who said he absolutely hated dynamics in, mm. uh, in .NET and C Sharp. And he said, I cannot think of a single place where dynamics would be useful. I said, I can. He said, what's that? I said, JSON. And he went, oh, okay, fair enough. You uh. win. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and actually, I, I, do, I do accept that, a- that actually some of the loose typing stuff um, of JavaScript is extremely powerful. The um, ability to be able to simply just get an object and return it and then extend it and then send it back without having to deal with time checking. Um, it can be very, very useful. But it uh, leads I, to that grid of hell when we come to uh, uh, equals operators and not equals operators with all these crazy types. And Well, that's well. there's that. Uh, there's also the fact that when you have something like a data exchange contract, like a REST API of some kind, um, I think certainly if you look at something like Facebook's API, uh, Facebook will deliver up a different model based on the parameters of your application and what permissions you have requested. So they will return you a minimal model where you've requested minimal permissions and they will return you extra properties and extra things if you've requested more permissions. Mm. The problem is, is that they don't actually specify a contract up front. And as a result, uh, you need to have some kind of uh, dynamic functionality to be able to say, right, does this property exist? Yes or no? Yes, great. I can run some functionality with it. Uh, and I think that is that is one of the strengths of JavaScript. But uh, at the same time, it's also a weakness because then people can effectively change an API on the fly without having to notify that the contract's changed. And then suddenly you find your code's out of date. And that is uh, difficult to manage. Well, when you're using TypeScript, can you also use JavaScript at the same time? I mean, if I write if I write a, a JS file in, Java, uh, in TypeScript, can I just say, this is JavaScript, this function? Uh, I, that I don't know. I don't yeah, think I don't you can do either. it on a fi- I don't think you can do it on a file by file. I don't think you can do it on a kind of function by function basis in a file. I think you can do it on a file by file basis. So you can basically have a kind of helper. Let's say you ha- wanted something to be JavaScript helper. You could then effectively extend your object using JavaScript in a JS file as yeah. opposed to a TypeScript file. That seems to me to be a good solution because then you could get the best yeah. parts of both, the good parts of both. <laughs> yes. And you can see the power of that dynamic approach. Absolutely. I mean, the, the fact that anytime Facebook makes a revision or anything, they're just going to add new data to the JSON package. I mean, if you want to exactly. fight against that, there are JSON schema specs now. Oh, really? Now that's interesting. JSON schema.org. Oh, no. Dun, dun, dun. I like And it creeps okay. toward XML. <laughs> because it went uh, so well in in uh in the ws star world yeah <laughs> see i i i have to say i mean right now i'm dealing with an api which is which has no formal schema and it's an xml api written on classic right. asp um so old school um and yeah it's got zero schema uh, i've had to use xsd to manually serialize out Oh God! Uh, I think it's two hundred thirty-seven XML classes, oh which are requested, 
which are request and response objects. Um, so yeah, it's not pretty. Um, and yeah, that's just to create POCOs to be able to read and write XML and, you know, call data serialization. And I've made some generics and, you know, stuff that just goes, okay, right, take this class in, out, bish, bash, bosh, thanks, done. But it's still, <laughs> but it's still not pretty. It's still enormously heavy and verbose. And yeah, it's ugly. But you know, you know, the same way that TypeScript doesn't actually mm -hmm. deploy to the to the browser, right? I mean, in the end, it's just compiling yeah. JavaScript, off it goes. Yeah. It's only in yes. your testing environment that it matters. If you use yeah. JSON schema the same way, hey, the app's mm -hmm. being weird, run the tests, and it validates the JSON against the schema and says, the JSON's changed. Like, that would save you time. That could be useful. I could right? definitely Because I would never want to yeah. deploy the JSON schema. I would not want my app to break because the schema's changed. But as a checking device. Yeah. Right, yeah. I yes. want it as part of my test suite. Yes, that 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 I could certainly see a very very good useful. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that would that would be somewhere I'd see it being useful. But um, but yeah, it's the light. But it is the lightweight nature of JSON that's allowed. You know, uh, it's why everyone likes to use it as yeah. API um, endpoints. It's why startups find Node so trendy. And we felt that way about XML at the beginning too, and then we ruined it. Well, I guess Richard, you know that same problem could be resolved when your test fails because you couldn't uh uh deserialize properly you know and it would say hey you're you're this json doesn't fit or whatever yeah but then you then you're embedding the tests in your app which creates its own set of well, problems if, in, if you do that in your tests though yeah yeah but yeah you know, that's the thing is either you write your own schema validator right or you use mm -hmm. one yeah yes interesting problems Yes. Because everything, everything about jasonschema.org that gives me chills, right? Like, oh, yeah. no, here we go again. No kidding. Until this yes. conversation, until we talked about it, you you know, you talk about from the TypeScript context, like, hey, you know what? If this was a harness, this, this is just part of my testing infrastructure. Yeah. Hell, this could even be a dashboard. I might be doing schema validation once an hour. Mm. And I just get a warning. Schema changed again. Not that it's broken. It changed. Yep. The problem is, though, is that you're going to end up with people who take the schema and go, oh, great, I can, so I can actually embed that in my app, boom, and then suddenly yes. someone's going to, you know, it's the, with great power comes great responsibility. Oh, no, and anything you try and make idiot-proof makes a better idiot. And we need restraint when yes. it comes to these schemas. I mean, I took a look at some of the examples. They're just that far from C-sharp, you know? Yep. It's like, when are we mm. going to have code in the schemas as well? <laughs> oh, Lord. Oh, Lord. Validation rules. Oh, no, no. Did I, I, I didn't say that, Regexes. by the way. Regexes. Regexes no. galore. No. You're, don't you're going to hell. do it. <laughs> say no. Yeah. No, it was, I think Hanselman said, this Jason schema thing, this is XML for young people. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds about right. Yep. So, um, I actually, I, I speaking of regexes, I, I have an unofficial nickname from a friend, which is Regex Maestro. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, I, it, ironically, um, so when I was a kid, God, this is going back years. Uh, I was fifteen, um, so this would be two thousand and three. I spent more time doing this, which was building my first online shop in classic ASP to support IE four and Netscape four. Uh, I spent more. More time on that than I did studying for my school exams. And yes, if my teachers are listening, I'm sorry, not sorry. Um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, 
Because your <laughs> class didn't make me any money. And we're still doing the same kind of stuff today. It's just not so barbaric, right? <laughs> yes, yeah, true. Oh, yeah. I remember, the, yeah, writing writing uh, menu rollover code in JavaScript oh. uh, <sighs> to support to, uh, with user agent detection to support two browsers. And the yes, code and oh, markup in the same file, just like you could do oh, it two yes. different oh, ways and completely. I, I've st- oh, oh I've got- I got it even worse. I wrote, uh, bear in mind, now bear in mind I was 15 and I didn't know better, but I wrote inline SQL. Don't shoot me. Whoa. Uh, don't shoot me. Don't shoot me. <laughs> yeah. Trust me. I, I go back and look at that and go, yeah, I, I've come a fairly long way. I'm happy with that. <laughs> but you know what? Prog- back, back then we were happy if the thing ran at all, yep. you know, never mind. Was it secure? Was it performant? Did mm. it scale? We, the, IAS 1.0 didn't scale at all. The question is, <laughs> Is it still deployed? That's the question. No, no. <laughs> yeah, there you deployed. go. So I built oh, this. Okay so I built this because a friend of mine worked a Saturday job in a computer shop, and he was like, "Oh well, you know, the owners won't listen to us because they think we're all kids, but they don't know. Well, we were all kids, but they don't know who you are. So you could build something, you know, decent, and then sell it to them. So I built it, but the owners were like, "No, nah, we're not going to pay money to some fifteen-year-old kid." Um, but when I did show my friend this site, he was like, "That is the best that any of us out of kind of." The little group of nerds in the school uh, could have done, yeah. and uh, he went down the PHP route, and I went down the .NET Microsoft route, and now he's uh, a sysadmin and part owner in a web hosting company. But he still calls me up for regex help, going, "Yeah, you know, I need to pass a file name," and I'm like, "Okay, fine, bash something out." Yeah, there you go. You owe me a beer. So, um, <laughs> yeah. So now he, he now he now calls he now calls me Reg- regex maestro. So. Um, so yeah. Yeah, but is it really something you want to be good at, right? Oh, I don't mind being decent at it. Um, you know, it's 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 a tool as long as it's not abused. Um, you know, it's a tool for in, you know, for validation and it's a tool for finding patterns within text as long as it's not abused. As, uh, yeah. I think um you know, Jamie, of course, I'm, I have to quote Jamie Zawinski on this, which is that he absolutely despised Perl. And the main reason he despised Perl so much was because of its overuse of regexes to do yeah. just about anything. Uh, you know, and that's where his quip came from was, you know, uh, you have a problem and you think, I know, I'll use regex to solve it. Now you have two problems. He wasn't <laughs> referring, to, well, he wasn't referring to regex itself. He was referring right. to the overuse of them yeah. within Perl. So I think, you know, providing they're used sparingly, um, you know, email address validation, cell phone number validation, credit card validation, fine, absolutely fine. Um, you know, uh, simple pattern based text matching. You know, I had a problem and then I used Java and now I have a problem factory. (laughs) Don't you mean you have a a problem threading factory? (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) maybe. So, and I think I'm feeling the same way about this Jason schema thing. Up till now, I've just said everything about this is repulsive. Now I'm thinking, okay, it's your foot. If you use this carefully enough, there are places where this might actually help. Right. The, the, and all it is yeah. is in the classification of issues, right? I could quickly find, uh, you know, Facebook changed their schema. They've, they, and it's, and that could be what's affecting the app. Yeah. True. Or Twitter changed theirs. You know, uh, there was a, there was a press release. They made a version increment to that API. Oh, I missed an extra couple of fields. Right. 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 Update my schema, update my app, but you know, done. So yeah. You know, but as long as it's as long as it's used sparingly, right. so I think and that's I think that's that. Don't use it for anything but what it's meant for. So Benjamin, is there anything else that we should talk about 
quickly or briefly that we failed to mention during this conversation? Uh, no, I think I'm good. Although, can I make a? Uh, am I allowed to make a, a, a completely um, a plug? No, absolutely yeah, I make not. A shameless, shameless plug. Um, absolutely so, not. Okay, so um, <laughs> uh, so you me- so you mentioned at the top when you introduced me that I do um, uh, that I advocate about uh, mental health and charitable causes. Yes, um, yes. Uh, I am uh, last year. I uh, ran well. This time last year, I ran a half marathon for the National Autistic Society. Which half? Britain. The first half or the second half? <laughs> the first half. <laughs> um, and uh, uh, I managed to raise about eight hundred dollars for that, which was nice. great. Uh, uh, thank you. And I managed to finish in under two hours, wow. which was a, which was a miracle, given that a particular family member who was staying with me so she could watch me over uh, the finish line um, decided to give me a hangover at 2.30 in the morning. Oh. Uh, the, night, the night before the race. The night before the race. Yes. That's not right. Uh, no. Uh, no, but I still finished it's, in sub two hours. It's supposed to be pasta, so, not Pilsner. What yeah. were you doing? Yes, <laughs> That's right. Yeah, I, Different I, kind of carbo oh, loading there. Oh, oh, no, no. Oh, no. This was whiskey. Oh, jeez. Oh, oh, no yeah. carbs there. Oh, Even no. Worse. No, no, no. Yeah. So, uh, so anyway, and then uh, last April, I ran the London Marathon uh, for the same charity. Oh, great. Uh, and finished in a shade under five hours and foolishly because i'm stupid or an idiot or just dumb or any combination of the three i've decided i'm going to do it again next year Uh, Um, now now you're not learning yeah (laughs) yeah yeah, basically well benjamin thanks very much for being with us it's been great talking to you it had my pleasure gents all right and we'll see you next time on dotnet rocks .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Pwop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got